Hey everyone, our fundraiser for the month of December is Keep a Breast Foundation, whose mission is to empower young people around the world with breast health education and support. I know the holidays are upon us and money is tight, but if you can spare a few dollars, it all adds up and goes a long way. Please visit KristaMakesADifference.com to make a donation. Together, we can make a difference. And now let's jump into this awesome episode. Hey, everybody. Chris Fafalius here, your guest host for Chris Demakes a Podcast this week, and for a good reason. Our guest this week is none other than our host with the most, Chris Demakes. A songwriting discussion with Chris himself was long overdue, so we dove into the Less Than Jake classic. And I mean that literally, considering the song is now over 25 years old, Johnny Quest thinks we're sellouts. As I started my research for this episode, I asked myself one big question. What is it about this particular song that has made it stand out as a fan favorite and a staple of the Less Than Jake live set list for decades now? By the time I finished my deep dive into the song, I thought I'd figured it out, but Chris obviously had his own thoughts about that subject as well. Hosting this episode made me feel like Johnny Quest himself, which in my teenage imagination was some big ska radio DJ in Florida who didn't buy into the Less Than Jake hype. Well, to the fictional Johnny Quest, I say... Skank your way on out of here, man, because in my eyes and the eyes of countless other LTJ diehards, this song and this band are legendary. Without any further ado, this is the old dude, Christopher M. Fafalius, and you're listening to my discussion with Krista Makes. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista Makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista Makes a podcast. All right, man, to say that I'm excited about this episode would be an understatement. I get to host this episode that is about a song from such an influential album to me. For anyone who's listening, you might not know, but I am a giant Less Than Jake fan, so much so that I was on the Less Than Jake street team as a teenager when I got into Less Than Jake. So now I get to interview about this song, and I'm pretty excited about that, man. I didn't know you were on the street team. Like, you're legit. Street team, baby. (laughs) I am legit, man. And I can vividly remember the first time I heard you guys, and probably somewhere in a bin up in my attic, I can find a cassette tape where I used to tape the radio and there was a college station uh from a college california university of pennsylvania there was a station called power 92 and a guy had a show where he played back to back less than jake and suicide machines and it's where i heard both of your bands for the first time ever and i believe the song that was played for you was dope man but it could have been Johnny Quest. I, I can't remember. I have to break out the cassette to see. But it was one of those two songs. Regardless, it opened my eyes to not only you guys, but an entire genre of music for the most part. I had heard Operation Ivy and a few rancid songs that were along the lines of ska. But it was you guys that broke that world open for me. And this song was a huge part of that, man. That is awesome. Uh, for those of you old enough to remember, uh, you're like the Ed McMahon interviewing Johnny Carson right now. This is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure, man. I mean, this story goes this story goes on and on for a long time. But I'm excited to talk about this song. Diving into this song, 
What an epic piece of music. And I never looked at it this way till I started breaking it down. There is so much about this song that I'm excited to talk about. But from the start, I want to know, just as you ask all your guests, do you remember where you were when you wrote this song? I want to know where you were. I want to know what was going on in your life. And I want to know what you looked like, <laughs> what <laughs> hairstyle you had, what clothes you were wearing. I want to know these little details about this song because I know you remember them. Oh, yeah, I, I do. I do remember them. And, and, and real quick, I want to let the listeners know that you, from the very beginning, we started this podcast. You're like, you know, I want to get you on an episode. And here we are. What does, you know, six months in and we're fi- finally doing this. So, so, yes. so, so uh, it's coming to fruition Chris and I'm excited uh so where was I at uh it was would have been 1994 and less than Jake was just I mean playing like maniacs we were touring up and down uh every corridor uh, in nook and cranny of Florida Daytona Beach Orlando Jacksonville just playing with as many bands uh local regional and national bands as we could and uh, I, I was really into the idea of writing a minor song one of our huge influences was skank and pickle and they did a lot of minor chord songs and so i was in that c sharp minor and i was just fooling around one day it was it was at our practice space in gainesville which was <laughs> right across the street from a cow slaughterhouse uh and <laughs> it was about a hundred billion degrees out there with mosquitoes uh, as florida is and that's where we rehearsed and i was fooling around with this with this uh this riff and C C uh, C sharp minor C sharp minor, and um, I was just I, the idea was I wanted to take this minor song and then just hit this really major chorus, you know, and I wanted to have that that contrast between it. So yeah, I was um, dressing in punk rock t-shirts. You mentioned Operation Ivy was one. I used to wear screeching weasel t-shirts. It was always band t-shirts. I was a big fan of the Jorts in 1994. I had some. <laughs> I believe I, it. <laughs> a Florida dude. Oh man, I just I just know you. I know who you were at that time. Yeah, the cutoff Jorts that were frayed. Uh, oh yeah, that was my look. Uh, chain wallet, white socks. I hadn't graduated to the black socks yet. I was wearing white socks. Wow. Uh, probably. <laughs> Probably Vans or Converse or something. Did you have the bleach blonde hair then? Um, I had actually I had blue dreadlocks for a little while. They only made it. What? They only made it past my. <laughs> they only made it past my chin. Uh, and then I, I shaved it off. I just don't. I don't look good in long hair. Um, but uh, yeah, I had. I, I I'd bleach my hair now and again. I remember I had done it. Uh, uh, magenta one time, blue, different colors. <laughs> so yeah, I was I was messing around with with hairstyles. I had my I had my eye pierced. Uh, for a very sh- very short period of time in 1994. Very Mike Patton of yeah. you. Very Mike Patton. <laughs> <laughs> but that that was a very short phase. I didn't I didn't like that. But yeah, it was it was 94. <laughs> it was a great year. Punk was breaking out in the mainstream. Of course, Green Day and Offspring had hit that year. Rancid was was right on the cusp uh, of uh, and out come the Wolves. They were blowing up, and it was just exciting. Like I said, there was tons of bands coming in and out of Florida, and we were playing all the time. And so the idea, again, it was it was really built off like Skank and Pickle with that minor thing, but I, I wanted the minor to be contrasted with that major, and and that was the idea. And and the song, as a lot of great songs uh, we talk about on the show, uh, you know, come together uh, quickly. This one was uh, definitely quick. Uh, we're going to get into the minor feel of the song and everything like that. But I want to tell you a little bit about my experience with this album in general. But 
when you listen to music, especially when you're young and you're listening to music, you guys, with your lyrics, you created this sort of imagery that there was, for lack of a better way to put it, there was this world of people and things where my mind created its own stories about what things were about. And I and when I heard this song, what the, the story that I know I pictured in my mind was that Johnny Quest was like this ska dj (laughs) where you're from and he had like an influential ska radio show (laughs) and for some reason he thought you guys were sellouts so this song was kind of like a fuck you to johnny quest and i don't know why i thought this this wasn't what it was uh but that's the story that my mind made up about it and i know that's not true we're going to get into what it's actually about. I know you've told this story and anyone who Googles or looks at Wikipedia can see the, the little story behind this. Uh, but I, I, I thought that that's pretty funny that that's what I thought. Um, so when you were writing this song, you already had like some less than Jake momentum going, right? You had, you started to feel it at this point. Oh, uh, this wasn't yeah, pre that. Yeah, no, it was, it was happening. Um, one of the first real pivotal uh, moments was uh, August 13th, of 19 or yeah 1994 we played at uh what is now known as janice live it was called janice landing in st petersburg florida this big outdoor venue uh vinnie and i grew up seeing tons of shows there as kids great place to one of my probably my favorite place to play just for sentimental reasons and we got to open for the money money boss tones on that night and it was just amazing um i just knew Something was happening. We sold out of merchandise that night. We played to the biggest crowd we had played to at that point. Probably the place holds like 2,000 people, and it was sold out. And But we were the first opening act on. We probably played to 800 people, 900 people, probably to a half room. But to, we might as well have been playing to, to a stadium. It was huge to us. And after the show, Dickie was wearing our shirt. And I was like, uh, t- to me at that point, that was when I made it. If, if anyone ever asked, when did you know you made it? It wasn't about money or, or, or record sales. It was about Dickie Barrett wearing my shirt. You know, I, I was just over the moon. Hey, that comes full circle to the person hosting right now, because then you had Punchline open a show at Janice Landing for you guys about 10 or 11 years later on Anthem. And it's actually the first time I ever saw you guys play The Science of Selling Yourself Short was at Soundcheck at Janice Landing. Uh, so that was a pretty cool memory for me, too. That's man. awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know, this song was being played because you used to play songs before you'd record them. There was no no right. upload to YouTube where you could spoil it for anybody. So we, we were playing this song. Right. Uh, I don't know if we were playing it as early as August of 94, but I believe the song was written that fall. Fall in '94. If I if I were to really really dive deep into my memory banks for that one, but um, the song came together really quickly. And Vinny was great at the imagery that you're talking about. You know, he was it, the the songs when when we got signed to Capitol. Our A and R guy said to me, he said, "I love your lyrics because they're believable." And I didn't know what he meant at the yeah. time, and I now I know what he means by that. They're relatable. They're believable. I mean, just think of the lyric. Johnny Quest thinks we're south. It's like, how is that believable? When you really start diving into it, like what you're saying, it's like you you start to formulate these stories in your mind of what it could be. And your assessment of it wasn't really that far off. It was a guy that we were right. pr- pretty much given the middle finger to. My good friend Don uh, Peden was an architecture student. And Donnie and I went to high school together. He ended up moving to Gainesville. And a uh, big fan of the band. And he was in the library on campus or in the architecture department somewhere. And he noticed on a desk, someone had scrawled in less than Jake or sellouts. And it was signed Johnny <laughs> quest. And uh, you know, Johnny quest is a cartoon character. I don't know if this guy was just 
thought he was being funny or that was the name he went by. His punk name was Johnny Quest. But, you know, when Donnie told me this, when Don said, you know, I saw this, it was just so funny to, to Vinny and I because we knew at that point that for someone to call us sellouts, this is before any rumblings of capital, uh, that meant we were doing something good. We were selling out every venue in Gainesville. Things were at a fever pitch for us. And that meant that we were getting noticed on a level that was outside of our 10 friends showing up to see us play. You guys were getting noticed on a level that people were scrawling messages about you into desks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'd say that's that's pretty good. Okay, well, let's get into this first. This song first appeared on Pezcore in 1995. Correct, right? correct. And and you decided to re-record it. And we're gonna today we're gonna break down the losing streak version of it, which is basically the same. Just the performance is dramatically better. Which I talked to you about this a little bit beforehand. <laughs> Part of the reason for that is because you had recorded this song so quickly for Pezcore. You, I think you told me you recorded vocals for 19 songs in one day. Is that true? It was, yeah, it was like probably four hours. It was like, okay, we're recording, go! You know, we were on a budget. We didn't have right. any money. And it was, and, and kind of at that point, that's how we thought you recorded. We were a punk band. It was supposed to be kind of loose. It was supposed to have this live feel. And, and uh, Pezcore is certainly loose and certainly live. That's our show But by the time you got around to the losing streak version of it, the lineup was basically you, Roger, Vinny, uh, and then Buddy. Correct. And this was pre-JR. This was Darren. Dar- on yeah, the Darren was on the sax, sax and Jessica Jessica played the alto sax. So we were a six-piece by the time we, we recorded Losing Streak. Um, but uh, Pezcore, Darren was not on Pezcore. We had another guy fill in he was uncredited on the record there was a guy named doug we won't go into that whole story but uh he played some sax on the record uh but yeah the pezcore version and and we just knew that it was going to be great we, we knew we had to record it because we had already been playing it live we were already seeing the reaction when we played the song so it was kind of a no-brainer uh to, to record it for pezcore and then you know the song was kind of one of those songs that was just uh it was immediate uh, with the audience and so when our A&R guy uh, uh Craig Aronson from Capitol Records he when he initially had seen the band but he probably saw us a dozen times before he signed us he was following us around the US and he was seeing the reaction of of this song in particular and Jen doesn't like me anymore from Pezcore and when it came time to record Losing Streak he said to us you know you guys should retract these songs. And we were like, what are you talking about? No, those are already documented. Those songs are done. And his argument was, yeah, you know, you, you sold 20,000 copies of Pezcore. Like, you know, we, (laughs) there's think of how many people haven't heard these songs. They're great. They're like your biggest songs. People go crazy. And uh, we sat on it and and realized that, you know, maybe he's got a point there. And and that's why we retract them uh, for losing streak. This song is very interesting to me. And through my research and digging into it, I think I answered my own questions. But the main question I had for myself is why this song, with the entire catalog of Less Than Jake songs, why this song has remained such a fan favorite for all these years when, like, this Losing Streak album, like, for me, a personal favorite, Automatic, uh, Ninth at Pine, not that people don't love those songs, but 
why this song in particular <laughs> and as opposed to like some of these other songs especially when the subject matter isn't necessarily relatable like jen doesn't like me anymore that's instantly relatable if you've broken up with somebody that doesn't like you anymore you're at the show singing along but this song i was just questioning like what is it about this song yeah i i think i know the reason why chris i don't know maybe if this is what you where you were going with it this is one of those songs, you know, you talked about Ninth at Pine, you talked about, you know, automatic and things are automatic when you see them every day. It's the same old dream. You know, it, it there's a ton of lyrics there. Ninth at Pine, when it all came down on the Saturday night, well, you know, a lot of lyrics. Johnny Quest and Jen are in the same, uh, cut from the same cloth. Johnny Quest in particular, Johnny Quest thinks we're sellouts, sellouts. Johnny Quest thinks we're selling out, we're selling out. Yeah, it's it's the same thing over and over, like kind of hitting hitting uh-huh. you over the head. There's not a lot of information, which okay. <laughs> which sometimes you're like, oh, that's kind of a dumb song. It, it's the dumb songs that are what I call dumbed down that resonate with people because mm-hmm. they're so easy to remember. Okay, that's an interesting take on that. As we go through this, I, I'm going to put my take out there because I think mine's a little different. Mine's a little deeper than yours. I think you're not giving the song. <laughs> I feel like I'm giving the song more credit than you are from a lyrical and musical perspective. Whereas you're saying, yeah, it's repetitive and there's merit to that as well. By the time the second chorus hits the first time you hear this song, you can sing along. So there is merit to that, but I, I think I have some deeper reasons why. Anyway, let's get into the, the song itself. A sure. First of all, the first 22 seconds of this song, which is a little bit quicker than the Pezcore. The song did, the tempo did increase a little bit from Pezcore to Losing Streak, which is interesting because I asked you before, was this played to a click and was there a beat map to this? Because there is an increase in tempo as the uh, intro goes on and that builds the intensity and gets you more and more psyched up as it goes. But but you told me, no, you didn't play to a click. On no, this, there was there was no click on losing streak anywhere. Mm-mm. So was the increase in tempo intentional? Did you guys go into it saying, <laughs> let's play this a little bit faster? It, it just happened it was that in, way. It was intentionally how we played it at that moment. <laughs> okay. you know, there, there really wasn't a lot of thought. I mean, Losing Streak was the first time we ever worked with a producer. And, you know, Mike Rosen, uh, he just kind of let us be who we were. That's a real document of, of, you know, where we really took the most time on that record. Is we had a little luxury of, of kind of making the vocals sound how we wanted to, them to sound. You know, leave right. out the bum notes and get the harmonies right. But the rest of it was kind of recorded like we had previously done. It's just like, you know, a lot of it was just cut live right off the floor. Johnny Quest in particular, the bass, the clean guitar, the, all the verses in that intro. That's just uh, my uh, Les Paul epiphone straight off the, the cutting room floor. That, that's me, Vinny and Roger live. That whole song the only guitars that were overdubbed were the uh, chorus guitars. It's impressive that that was recorded that way. And to your point, the vocals from Pezcore to Losing Streak, the difference is so dramatic. You oh, guys, yeah. wh- whether it was that you had more time or you just grew as singers that much in that year or year and a half or whatever it was, is not just noticeable. It's it's mind-blowing, the difference. And I know that you have said before that you feel like you really became a singer on Hello Rock View. Well, you're, you can see just listen to these three albums you could see the progression like in real time uh from the albums but i think by the time you hit losing streak your vocals sound great man thanks it's punk rock but it's also like 
I, I mean, th- they're on. They're dead on. Yeah, I remember when we made Losing Streak, and a friend of mine had uh, played it for his girlfriend, and she looked over at me. We were at a party or something, and it was ne- the song "Never Going Back to New Jersey," and it was the first time that a, that a girl looked over at me and she says, "I really love your voice." And I was like, nice. <laughs> I was like, okay. And it, I don't know if it was so much my voice. I think is what you're talking about. You know, it may have been a little bit my voice, but it was the delivery and the vocals sounded good. They were aggressive, but they were in tune for the most part and in time for the most part. And we hadn't been, been that prior. And she had heard our pre- previous stuff <laughs> prior right. to that. And this was the first time that she, that I was, I was paid that compliment. You know, it's wild. And I don't think that, I don't know if other people listen to music this way or not but when losing streak came out that's still like a maybe a year before i started playing music maybe at that point i'd fiddled around with my friends a little bit but i didn't listen to music the way i listen to it now and the music was just this one big thing that was coming at me and i wasn't picking apart the pieces of it it was just like how the entire the entire arrangement made me feel and i honestly for how different you and Roger's voices are and how you have that back and forth, I didn't even pick up on the fact that it was two different singers. And that sounds ridiculous now, but I, it was just this piece of music coming at me and I just loved the way it made me feel. And uh, it's weird that I didn't notice the difference in the vocalists. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I, I, and it's funny. I'll go back now because a lot of times in the early days, I was doing my own harmonies to my stuff. Roger was. And then we started flip-flopping. I, I go back now and I can't tell if it's Roger and I singing some of the harmonies and our voices are so different. They really are. But yeah. at the same time, we're doing these harmonies and we're blending. Uh, it, it, our voices just blend so well together. And you, sometimes you just really can't even tell. I think you both grew more into the character of your own voices as time went on, too. You grew more into what your role was and. I think it became more dramatic, the difference between your voices, as you grew as vocalists. Well, yeah, and then there's there's bands out there, one that comes to mind, you know, Michael Anthony, the bass player for Van Halen, I mean, his voice was just amazing, but he was always just the backing vocalist. He was never the lead vocalist, and I think at some point, we realized the uh, ace up our sleeve with Roger, it's like, this guy can't just sing backup vocals, and that's why he ended up be, becoming the co-lead singer of the band. He had to be. His voice was too right. good, and they worked too. We worked too well together, and um, and it's been great over the years. It uh, it gives me a break live. It gives him a break live. Yeah, being the being the singer, uh, the sole singer of a band's a that's a big burden for sure, man. Uh, so back to this intro, the first twenty two seconds of the song, uh, and I'm going to quote something that I've heard you say to a several bands and about songs on this podcast is it has a very haunting feel you know it's that minor key and it it also has more than any other less than jake song that i can think of it has an old school ska feel like something along the lines of like madness or the specials or something like that whereas i can't even think of any other less than Jake's song. There's songs that have like reggae influence. And of course you have tons of upstrokes and they're always real fast, but more than anything, this has that classic, if you want to call it second wave scoff yeah. to it. And that was directly influenced uh, by that, you know, again, skank and pickle fishbone madness. You know, a lot of those bands were just doing these really minor type songs. And I didn't so much see us, um, you know, doing it verbatim. I wanted to, 
You know, it was it was an amalgamation of what they were doing and the rock pop sensibilities and the punk thing that we were doing. And that was the idea. Like, uh, again, I said earlier, it was the blend. I really wanted to have that striking difference and see if I could mesh it and make it work together. And I think that's what's so cool about it is it, it has that minor, as you're saying, haunting feel to it. And then when the chorus hits, it's just major. Boom. There it is. Right. Right. And so even talking about something hitting it, and I've seen this with my own eyes, whether it was at a fan at a show or whether it was when I was touring with you and watching from the side of the stage, is so you have this beginning and you have, for anyone who's listening, I assume most people are familiar with the ska genre of music, but you have this type of dancing that's called skanking. <laughs> and at the beginning of this song, people can do a traditional type of skank to this or a traditional dance to this part, but it increasingly, the tempo picks up well, slightly. It, it's increasing and it's increasing and you see people getting more and more excited until you hit that 22 second mark when you have the bump, 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 you know? Uh, well, actually before that, we got to talk about how it cuts out to just your guitar, where then you could tell the people in the crowd are just like, oh shit, here we go. I'm going to skank so hard <laughs> when this kicks in. This is part of my analysis as to why this song has hit with fans so well is it's so fun uh, from a listener's perspective and from a fan at a show's perspective. You have all these parts where you go from dancing to dancing really hard to moshing. <laughs> you know, it's just like such a fun live song. Uh, so yeah, talk about that for a second. You you go from basically what I would consider the intro to would you call it a second intro? Yeah, well, it, it, I think I would call it a reset. It's kind of like okay, we had this slow intro, and then I would dictate basically to answer your question from earlier of like was this cut to a to a click a metronome or no? It was just basically it was the reset when I do the guitar by myself. It's really whatever speed that was that dictate. Where, where we were going to go with it and then just boom now the drums are in the horns are in right and that's when yes. that's when all hell breaks loose and i never really realized what you're talking about until my friend came over from the u.s with his wife last year to uh, a show in england bournemouth england was on my birthday september 27th it was a friday night sold out show 1500 people he filmed this song from the balcony and that part you're talking about i'm watching the intro and then as soon as my guitar kicked and the drum it, the yep. place went berserk and just to see the floor right. going nuts dancing. Um, so I know, I know exactly <laughs> what, and from when you're on the stage and you're doing it for as long as I have, you don't see it. And that was the first time I had ever, you know, when he, Joe sent me that video, I was like, wow, I saw, and I just know this song is one of those songs that we have to play every night. People lose their mind. Dude, from a 16 year old Chris Fafalius perspective at a show with my buddies, with Steve and PJ and, I can still feel it. We're talking about it, and I can feel it. You have that intro where you're like, oh, you look at each other, you're like, oh, shit, here it is. And then that moment where it's just your guitar, it's almost like you're bracing. It's like that scene in Braveheart or something like where you're like, oh, man, here we go. And as soon as those bumps kick in and those horns, that that's a question I want to get to here. But when the, the horns kick in and it's just all out and you are just – so excited and and the music just overtakes you and you're dancing and you're running into people and it's just so much fun it's like what a 
punk rock show is all about that that moment of excitement i i can't really explain it but i'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this and have experienced this know exactly what i'm talking about and this song is such an epic journey in that way uh but what i wanted to ask you about this next part is the horn melody is basically what takes over at this part Was that written as a horn melody, or did that was that originally a guitar melody? Yeah, that was that was something that Buddy came up nice. with. You know, he comes up comes up with a lot of the parts, and uh, that was just something that he played. And you know, we never really questioned too many things in the early days. You know, we didn't get into producing our own parts till really after Hello Rockview when we learned what a what a producer does, and, and not so much a producer, what an arranger does. And real like, is that the right note there? Could it be this note? And um, but we didn't analyze too much. It's just really probably one of the first things Buddy came up with, you know, but 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 know, that was just what it was. And it's become uh, I can't imagine it being anything else. It's just it's it's perfect for what it is. And that intro into that part is goes straight into the verse. And now it's it's the same thing. But now the vocals come in. And that's what that's what keeps it cool because it it doesn't change. It's just it's still just just driving. Right. And I, I want to give a shout out to Buddy right now and all the, the horn players out there for being songwriters in their way with their instrument, how they they speak to everyone is through their instrument and maybe don't get credit as songwriters in in the normal way you're picturing as a writing lyrics and, and writing uh, guitar melodies and stuff. But but without that horn part without that trombone without the 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 sax parts in this song it's not the same song it's so oh yeah yeah there's you know definitely there's songs of less than jake that can't be played without horns um and there's other ones where the horns are kind of the 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 secondary part and feature of the song but uh you know this one uh gainesville rock city there's a number of them that uh you just you can't play them without horns it doesn't it doesn't work the horns aren't just horn parts i've we've always said that they're they're two other voices yes you know in our band it, it, it's we do counter melodies and play off uh play off the lead vocal and play off what the guitar is doing so they really add uh in- intricacies to to the songs that uh wouldn't be there without horns we don't have another guitar player to play guitar licks we're a we're a three-piece punk band with a horn section yeah you know it's funny to think about that i you guys are a three-piece just like Green Day or Blink or Sublime or or a three piece when it comes down to the the normal instruments that you would have in a punk rock band. But I never think of you guys that way it, because yeah. you shouldn't think of you guys that way. You you are a five piece band. But uh, it's 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 wild how big and full your band sounds when the when it comes down to like the standard rock instruments, you're a three piece, <laughs> you know? So like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's very cool and interesting. Yeah. I think there's a simplicity to it too. You know, we, we know that, that the music has to be driving and it has to have a certain beat, uh, you know, because there isn't a lot of uh, instrumentation going on past the three of us a- until you add the horns and then you get into the vocals. So right. it becomes, it becomes a lot. It's not just your traditional three piece. Right. So anyway, we get into the first verse here, which, like you said, it's continuing the the same chord progression. The horns cut out for this half of a verse and the lyrics start. Well, I really don't know if it matters at all. So and I have to talk about this real quick. It wasn't until yesterday when I was researching the song for whatever, 25 years now, I thought the lyric was 
if it matters in our soul. <laughs> and I don't know. And I, I've sung that at your shows for. I'm going to sing that the next time we play it. 25 like it. years because it just made sense to me. But that's not what it is. Uh, it's if it matters at all. So. But we try to keep the prices low for our records and our shows. And lyrically, right off the bat, I think this is one of the things about this song that makes it so timeless and such a fan favorite for so long. Whereas you're saying it's just, you know, it's repetitive, it's easy to sing along to. I think that this concept here in your song is so cool and people latch on to that and like that is so cool when you see so many bands and artists that it just seems like everything's so expensive and oh i gotta spend a hundred bucks to go to a show the fact that you're declaring in this song that you're you want to keep the prices low for your records and your shows i think people relate to that punk rock ethos well yeah well and i and, and that's basically what we were saying we're, we were just saying that we're the same as you we we we're just on stage playing it we're the next night we're going to be in the crowd with you at the green day show. We're going to be in the crowd with you at the screeching weasel show, the no effect show, whatever, right. whoever's rolling through town. We're, we're fans of, of music and we, we want to keep And at the time we were doing five, $6 shows. Our t-shirts were five bucks back then. We were screening our own t-shirts out of our apartment. We were dubbing our own cassette tapes and selling them at our shows. It was the, the complete do it yourself, uh, logic behind the whole thing, you know, and, that's what we were striving for, and that's uh, that's what we were writing about. And the fact that this guy scrawled in a desk and called us sellouts because we were getting some attention, it's like, yeah, well, we're selling out the 200-seat 200, uh, 200 punk club in town, but we're still selling our T-shirts for five bucks. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's, <laughs> that's cool. That's, that's very – I know – I know uh, my friend, my friend PJ likes to quote that Metallica quote. I don't know what it's even from, but where he goes, are we sellouts? Yeah, we're sellouts sell out every show we play or something something yeah, along those every, lines every stadium across the world we yeah, sell out yeah which is <laughs> it's pretty funny so then we get into the second half now this is interesting would you consider this next part the second half of the verse or do you consider this a pre-chorus happening now the horns come back in and we get into the melody slightly changes uh, what do you mm -hmm. consider this here i i th i've always considered the whole thing a verse right. no pre-chorus yeah right up to the johnny quest he thinks we're what and then we're in the chorus right. so I, I i consider that one verse but it's funny i've never thought of it and a lot of <laughs> a lot of guests on this show have always said i never thought of it that way and, and until you just mentioned it now now you got me now i got my brain spinning i i could it could be argued this is the second half of the verse sure I would lean towards second half of the verse and that there is no pre-chorus, but I do also think that this, the, the melody changes and it could be argued this is the pre-chorus. Uh, Let's roll with it. Okay. Pre-chorus. Pre-chorus pre is uh, the, <laughs> the horns come, the horns come back in and then the lyrics are, but is that, is that enough or is that we're not punk enough or is it that you think Ska just sucks? Johnny Quest, he thinks we're what? Okay. Back to my point of why people would latch onto this song so much. You straight up make reference to the fact that you're a ska band right here. And yeah. that is very interesting because it could be argued that you're a punk rock band with horns, with ska elements or whatever. But you're straight up embracing ska here. You're third wave ska and you are embracing you're embracing that you're not you're not saying like nah man we're not sky you're 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 accepting that and i think that could be something 
you know, I think of myself as a teenager who loved your band and, and then from there got into ska so much. The fact that you are, you're owning it. We're owning, yeah, yeah, we're owning it, but it's also kind of a play on words and kind of, as the the British would say, we're, we're taking the piss out of it in the sense that, uh, you know, a lot of people at the time were like, eh, they're too ska or eh, they're too punk. The people, that, like a lot of the rude boys and the ska people in town, they didn't like us. We, you know, they, they wanted to hear more traditional ska. So the lyric is, you know, right. is that we're not punk enough? <laughs> is that, right. or do you think ska just sucks? You're, you're more of a punker or you're more of a ska guy. So we were kind of given a nod to, to both camps and it let you, it kind of let the listener decide who we were. Are we a ska band with punk influences or are we a punk band with ska influences? You decide. And it is wild how... Chris, I know you know this, and probably a lot of the listeners know, but around this time, you were hard-pressed to find a punk rock band that didn't at least have a ska song on their album. I'm talking No Effects, Millen Cullen, uh, I mean, just... Offspring. Yeah, everybody was part of it in some way. It was so popular, and it was that for me, and I, I think maybe you're the same way from conversations we've had. If it would have just been the specials and like the second wave of ska, I don't know that I would have got into ska music at all. I think it was the mix of ska and punk rock that made me love it. You know, if it was if Operation if Operation Ivy hadn't come along and done that mix, I don't know that it would have appealed to me. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Now, in retrospect, I can look back at second wave ska bands and be like, oh, I, I like this. This is cool. But I don't know that I would have thought that if punk rock hadn't exposed me to it. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I kind of kind of feel the same way. I, I just know that for us, we love the, both genres so much. And there wasn't too many bands doing it when, when we started. I'm not going to say we, we you know invented the wheel by any means, but you know, there was only a handful of bands uh, really doing the, the ska and the punk thing. And we just latched onto it. We loved both worlds, but there were things about just the traditional two-tone stuff that I couldn't see ourselves doing. We we didn't have that <laughs> right. that soul. I don't know what you want to call it. We weren't a smooth sky band. We were rough around the edges. We had this punk thing, and we knew that. We weren't going to try to write a traditional ska song. It just it would it would have any, if anything come off as contrived. So we felt that that uh, mixing both styles worked for us, and we kind of kind of rolled with it. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so then here, here it comes. You're going to get smacked in the face uh, as this pre-chorus, as we're calling it, comes to an end. The chorus, it is major, and it's that moment where the teenage me can see it going from very fast, sweaty people dancing to an all-out mosh pit. <laughs> you know, this is the rock moment where the entire crowd is singing along and it's a punch to the face of Johnny Quest thinks we're sellouts. And it's fun to sing along to. And to your point, it could be what makes the song be such a fan favorite for so long. Yeah, it's just a it, it's just a 
you know, uh, breakneck change of like this Scott thing and boom, now the big guitars hit and you're just in this really big major chorus. And it's just like, what the hell just happened? And it's just easy to remember. And yeah, it's the, the, the dancing kind of changes. It goes from the, the ska dance to just people going berserk and the stage diving. And you just see these transitions hit. And then it goes back into those, those hits that were at the top out of the chorus, the dun, dun, dun. And now we're back into the second verse, kind of like out of nowhere. Right. right. And, uh, you know, the horns come back in for a moment, uh, reintro the horns. And then uh, the second verse is interesting. I know you're going to get to it in a second. Uh, this was one of the first times we did uh, did a lyrical thing as we did with this one. So I'll, I'll let you take it from there. Yeah. The, the last thing I wanted to say about this chorus, which... It's as simple as I, I I don't really need to read the lyrics. Johnny Quest thinks we're sellouts, sellouts. Johnny <laughs> Quest thinks we're selling out, selling out. Yeah. Johnny Quest thinks we're sellouts, sellouts. Johnny, yeah. Um, is and I noticed this. It started getting a little more complex from Pezcore to losing streak, where you and Roger are doubling each other. I believe that that's both of your voices in there, right? Yes. The yeah. Yeah. And I I kind of trail off. And yes. Uh, do do like a holdout note, and then Roger sings over me. Right. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Is that starts to be the beginnings of playing around with vocal melodies between you guys a, a little bit more, and not so much. And I know that every punk band that sticks with it goes through this transition. I know my own band went through it, where you start to learn more about harmonies and how to play off each other's vocals, and not just sing everything in, in unison all the time. You know, <laughs> there's a time where I thought where I didn't have an understanding of music and I thought harmonies just meant you're singing together at the same time, you know, uh, yeah. not, not singing different notes. So you, you do have that sort of play between your vocals here, which becomes a very important thing to less than Jake as time goes on. Uh huh. Yeah, for sure. Um, but as you say, we come out of this chorus with the bump, bum, umps, and we're back to a reintro, as you would often call it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, it's a reintro. The it's the same horn uh, uh, horn part that's off the top of the song, uh, and it pretty much goes straight into the second verse as it did uh, to the first verse. Right. And when I hear this part, I once again it just it pops into my mind these memories of like there's a sweaty dude in a suit, and then I then there's a sweaty girl in a tank top and pink hair dancing over here, and you just I see these people, I smell these people <laughs> when oh, I, yeah. when I hear this part, and uh and it's just it's just fun you know and it but we're back to that that minor feel again we went it's a breakneck from major back to yeah. this minor part and then it's it's a uh what I, the way i would put it a little bit louder and a little bit worse <laughs> same uh second verse same as the first type thing here where it's i really don't it know is. until until the second half which was what i was talking about a moment ago and right and, uh, I'll, I'll let you read them off yeah so so it it's well, I really don't know if it matters at all, so, but we try to keep the prices low for our records and our shows, so we're reiterating that point. But then when we get to what we have decided is the pre-chorus, the lyrics change to, does it matter that you see our shirts besides going to school and going to work, or that you think that Scud just sucks, Johnny Questy thinks we're what? So we have a change here. 
Uh, yeah, well, and actually, that that wasn't see our shirts; it's screen our shirts. Oh, we were screening. Yeah, we were screening our own shirts at that time. So, oh. and I could and I could see why that lyric people would think it's see or it's written on the internet as see because who who talks about screening shirts? That that was something we talked about. That's that was kind of like a uh, you know an inside thing with us. So yeah, we were actually when I when I say screen shirts, we would take a blank shirt and we would actually burn. Jessica worked uh, on campus at UF, our uh, old sax player. And she would take a screen and actually burn uh, a design into a porous screen that you would then put over a T-shirt and pour ink onto the screen. And you'd have this squeegee looking thing that you would roll over. So we were screening our own shirt. So that's what that lyric uh, lyric references. Damn, I didn't know any of the lyrics. I've been singing the wrong <laughs> lyrics forever to this song. Uh, but that that changing that one word makes the line so much cooler. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because you, you understand now instead of see it's Yeah. So, um, you know, screen our shirts besides going to work and going to school uh, or going to school and going to work because we were going to UF. We right. were still university students and we I was delivering pizzas. Roger was working at a, at a bong shop. Right. So we, we had we, we had jobs. We had school. So it was just talking about our lives there, basically. Yeah. And that that part, that pre-chorus. The change there because a lot of our early lyrics were it was just the the first verse was the same as the second verse right and it was just we were young and it, we just you know it didn't matter you know screw it whatever uh, and I remember on this song saying ah, we got to change it up here it's got to be a little more information here I, I really pushed for this part to to change because I felt that just repeating it wasn't enough because the chorus is so simplistic you right. know we had to have a little more information right and that was actually my next question to you was. Was the repetition of the first and second, was that a product of being young songwriters or was that intentional knowing that familiarity is a strength in a song? Like, I didn't know. I, I, I kind of leaned towards assuming it was just young songwriting. Young, lazy, and a little drunk. Like yeah. I said, we'd go out to the warehouse and, you know, the depending what uh, part of the night this was, uh, that part was crafted. Right. <laughs> you know, we might, might have been on our sixth beer by then. But, uh, right. but yeah, I, I definitely remember that part of, of saying we need a little more lyrical, lyrical content here. Right. So then we get into the second chorus. Once again, smacks you in the face. And to this point that we're talking about just now, it's a, it's a pretty much carbon copy of the first, the first chorus, unless there's something yeah. I'm, unless there's something I'm missing. Um, no, it's the same, same thing. Right. Right. And which we both know that can be a strength. You, you want people to be able to sing along, changing things about it makes that more difficult for the average listener. So once yeah, again, if I, yeah. if I were to, if I were to write this or re-record this today or reimagine this song, I wouldn't change that at all. I think right. it, I think that's uh, I think that perfectly suits, suits the song there. Right. But now I'm excited because now we get to talk about the bridge and back to what I was talking about a little earlier about listening to this before I really had a, grasp on musical concepts and listen to songs and listen to in individual parts in songs uh, back when I could still listen to a song and just experience it as a single sound for what it is this bridge is wild this bridge makes you feel like you're floating on a cloud and just as you've talked a lot on this podcast about it is an amazing departure from the song it takes you to a whole new world yeah it it, it that was a conscious decision it was like okay we we've, we've done these you know verse uh 
pre-chorus, if you want to say. <laughs> well, in- intro, intro, which is its own animal, never happens again. But then you do verse, chorus, verse, chorus, which are the same. It had to go somewhere, and it goes to that F sharp there. It's just boom, dun 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 dun, and Roger's bass line's kind of going. The oh, drums yeah. are just in in their own groove. And then the the second half picks up with the ska guitar comes in. It's still halftime, uh, and and the horns are doing their thing, and it's a complete uh, departure. There was never any talk of doing any lyrics here. Right. Uh, it was always just a musical interlude as a bridge. There was never talk of, hey, maybe we should have some some more content here, uh, which I think maybe, again, we didn't do that because there was enough. There was enough because we did get some more content in that uh, pre, in a pre-chorus number two. It's pretty mind-blowing, man, that you guys, in one aspect, were still very green songwriters. But then on the other hand, you could write a part like this. You could write a bridge like this, which is so advanced to me, so advanced. Uh, it's it's like progressive uh, of you guys in a way. Like it's like prog ska punk or something <laughs> when you get to this part. And I, I never, I never thought of it that way. I, I, I always thought in my mind that this was probably the weakest part of the song. And and it, and it really was until just now, the way you're talking about it, and you're able to you're able to get me. And I think that's why people, uh, the guests so far, like being on the show, and they, and they compliment us with, uh, with the show because you're seeing things you never saw. I never thought about it like that, Chris. I mean that. And, 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 and for the listeners, you and I didn't have this canned. We're, we're just talking no, off no. the cuff, <laughs> off, off the cuff right now. I did some research, uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, no, yeah. but I, 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 I appreciate that compliment. I never thought of this as like a, a uh, progressive or thought out part. This was just kind of like we had to go somewhere and that's where we went. Would you write this part it now? I don't know that you would write this, but I think you would overthink it too much. I think we, we would. We would. There'd be lyrics there. The horn part would have to be different. Uh, yeah. the, the production would be different. And there, it, there is something to be said about those. Prim- I've talked about this before, those primitive instincts when you're a young songwriter. And there's something about that that people latch on to. And you can try as hard as you can to go back, but I can never be 19 years old again. Right. I can never go back to, to 1994 in my brain. Uh, it's impossible because you, you, you have too many life experiences since then. But there's a beauty of those natural guttural instincts that you had that, that you, you you just uh, yeah i don't think we would write it the same today yeah if you're working with your average producer and i don't mean average but i mean most producers would say like no we're not going to have the bass shine at this part for four times through or the bass just jams out but like i absolutely love roger's bass work in this part it is insane he i'm not gonna sit here and I, I could easily spend an hour praising the bass lines of Roger Lima. Uh, he is definitely a giant influence on me as a bassist. And I often talk about this, how lucky I was to at that time of being influenced by the music I was listening to. I could have very five, 10 years earlier be influenced by punk rock bassists just playing the root notes, you know, and, yeah. and that that's all the more that I, I would have been fine with that as a bassist. But instead, I was listening 
to to you guys and you know several other Matt Freeman from Rancid and people like that that I wanted to learn these parts that these guys were playing that instantaneously made me a better bassist because of it. So I have to thank them for for that and for for parts like this where Roger's baseline in this part just shines. It's it's oh yeah. Well, he and you know I'll I'll give him I'll give him some praise too. You know, Roger's uh, is is Brazilian, so his family's from Brazil. And Roger grew up uh, multicultural. You know, he grew up speaking uh, Portuguese. He, he speaks English. Obviously, he was born in the United States, but he grew up listening to traditional Brazilian music. Uh, it's what he was raised on, uh, along with rock and roll and everything else that he grew up with. Uh, you know, if we would have just found some uh, we had a ba- we had a bass player before Roger. But uh, if we would have had, you know, s- some American born dude from Tampa, it wouldn't. Ha- he, he has a, a different feel. Right. He has a different feel to his, and he comes from a different place, and that's why those bass lines stick out so much. It's the feel, it's the placement, it's the note choices that he plays. And uh, this was one of the first times I do remember of, and I I do remember this was um, this bridge part was wow this this is different. I never thought of it as like the way you're painting it, uh, which is very cool. But uh, the the bass part definitely drove this part. Oh, absolutely. And there's a moment. And I love moments in songs, something that you can't even really put into words. But there's a moment at 145 of this song. And Chris, I don't know if you know it or if it was intentionally done, but there's a moment of feedback. And I don't know if it's reversed feedback, but do you know what I'm talking about? There's a little bit of feedback. That's that's uh, Mirror Image Studio uh, with me standing in front, about two feet away from a Marshall that was cranked to eleven. Yeah, with my uh, with my Epiphone. Yeah, that's that's what that feedback is. And it's like <laughs> this is gonna sound so silly, but it almost sounds mystical. <laughs> it sounds so cool, and, <laughs> and it just it sets the stage for what's about to happen. And what's about to happen? It almost sounds like an intentional prelude to what's about to happen with these horns because the horns kick in and I'm not a horn player, but the way I can describe these horn melodies is they make you feel like you're floating. I feel like I'm floating on a cloud during this part, and I, and it's that departure. And I know we're gonna get back to it rocking again really soon. But for that moment, you just you breathe out and you breathe in, and uh, yeah, th- those horns almost shouldn't work there, but they work so well because it's such a perfect setup. It's like this, like you said, you're floating. It's almost like a dreamy da 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 yeah it's just this kind of you're just kind of paddling in the boat and then of course at the end of it and then the drum roll comes in and then you're in that major chorus again yeah and that's that's why those on its own as a horn part and that as a part it's okay but in context of this song it's awesome yeah, and if you're using that analogy of you're floating on a boat, well, here comes the shark, and the shark is the. Johnny Quest is for selling out, selling out. Johnny Quest is for selling out. 
And it leads into that fill, and boom, you're back to a chorus. You know, it 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 punches you in the face even harder now. So that that difference there, that going from this dreamy floating in a boat whatever we want to call it to the chorus now makes that chorus have even more of an impact than it did before because you were going from a fast ska part but now you're going from a dream to that yeah no and, and i again never really thought about it uh which is this is so cool i uh, never thought about it until now and as we're analyzing it that yeah that part just in, it contextually just works so well because then when you get back to that third chorus it just seems so much more powerful and the third chorus is a double chorus here which differentiates is different from the Pezcourt version and I don't know why I don't remember having the conversation I don't know if we just stopped doing it live but on the Pezcourt version it goes through one chorus and then um, after the the first half of the third chorus I just go to a selling out you're selling out you're selling out you're selling out right. I repeat it over he's selling out he's selling out yeah um, didn't do that on the losing streak version the horns just kind of take over the second half it right. never uh it does. It doesn't have that. So, um, don't know. Don't know why that happened. But uh, that was one of the things that that uh, changed drastically from the Pezcourt to Losing Streak version. Right. And you guys are kind of vocally. You're kind of in that second half of the chorus, going off in your own directions. You're not. You're not sticking to the main like Johnny Quest thinks for sellouts. They're still singing there. But uh, yeah. But the horns. Yeah. The horns kind of take over. And then, you know, and then we're, we're going to the second outro, I guess you would call it, because this <laughs> yeah. is already, oh, well, no, this is kind of still the second half of the double chorus that we're talking about. So, yeah, this is the outro when you have the bump, 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 yep. bump, dun, dun, bump, bump, but now here's the difference between Pezcore and Losing Streak. On Pezcore, the last one is bump, bump, it's a, it's a sudden hit, but on this one, it's bump, bump. <laughs> it kind of it, it, it leaves you with that uh, suspense. It's suspense. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and again, that that's something else. That I don't know why we chose to do that uh, that particular way. Not sure how that that came about, but uh, that's what it ended up being. And and again, I think it was you know we ended kind of on that minory that C sharp, dun, 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 and it goes up to the uh, to the A flat. It ends on A flat. The song, so the song is kind of all over the place where where the parts all land. But uh, uh, in the grand scheme of it all, it, it makes sense. Uh, I'm I'm trying to look. I'm going to see if you know the answer to it. I'm I'm about to. Uh go on to uh google here and see but what's so you have that sort of suspense do you remember what the next song on losing streak is i'm trying to remember like what it leads into yeah it's uh it's crazy glue okay so yeah so maybe and, that's and, why you did that at the end as, as a sort of lead-in or did you even know the track listing when you were recording it well yeah i, I always put the tracks together so it, it went I, I think it was crazy glue right it has to be crazy glue because crazy glue starts on c it goes c to c sharp to a flat and johnny quest ended in a flat so yeah, that's cr- why yep crazy glue Right. Yeah, that's why. That's why. It was always, I always looked at keys. Oh, this song, Johnny ends in A, even though Crazy Glue starts in C 
moves to C sharp real quick and then goes to uh, A flat. Right. So yeah, I mean, Losing Streaks a sixteen track album, and to quote you, that's nothing to sneeze at when it comes to yeah. number of songs on the album. So uh, well, punk yeah. bands were doing that. I think uh, Outcome the Wolves had like twenty two songs on it. You know, bands were just putting a ton of songs, and and at the same time, Losing Streak was only thirty five minutes long. You know, the right. songs are like two minutes and 11 seconds, two minutes. I think the longest song on the record was like 240, which right. was automatic, maybe. Right. And it, ran, it definitely ran you over. And it it was, you know, it was definitely a time where I was listening to an entire album. No doubt. I listened to that album from front to back hundreds of times, you know, at that time. I wouldn't be surprised if I listened front to back a thousand times. It just <laughs> it would just worked perfectly. It worked perfectly as a full listen. You weren't necessarily picking out tracks like i don't know night that pine for some reason was always a track something about that song maybe i listened to that one a little more than the others but yeah it's definitely a front to back album uh, yeah no it's um i'm proud of it you know i'm proud of the legacy i'm proud that people love it i love the album it's nothing that i go back and put on and on a sunday morning and listen to i don't think many artists do mm-hmm. uh and, and i don't say that because i don't i'm not proud again i just i said i'm proud of the work i love it uh, you know, it's, uh, something that I could never go back and recreate. That's, that's a snapshot of my life at, at that, at that time. And that, for that reason alone, it's really cool. Oh yeah, man. It's, it, you know, in my eyes and my friend's eyes for what it's worth, this is considered a classic legendary album. So take that for what it's worth. It's hard to think about your own work that way, but that's what yeah, well, it is to me you. and a lot of people. Um, thank you. So I have a few more questions before before we move on here. Uh, do you remember the first time you played this song live and what the audience's response was to it? You know, it, it, again, it was before the record came out. So the audience, for the most part, unless we they had we played it at multiple shows that the person was at, they hadn't heard the song. Uh, but I I do remember that kind of. Our shows were so wacky and so out of control then that it didn't really matter what we played. We were just, it was just this frenetic energy and it was insane. And the live show was nuts. People running around costumes and throwing stuff out in the audience. And so, uh, you know, not to say it, it didn't matter what we played, but I, I'm sure it got a great response. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. This is a good question. So among less than Jake fans, and it would be insane if this was the case, but I feel like I already know what the answer is going to be. Did you get flack for the re-recording of it from people that preferred the Pezcore version of it? I remember a little bit of it, but you got to remember it had to be in person. It had to be someone at a venue. Yeah. You know, there was no, there was no internet. You didn't have, you didn't have the trolls uh, sitting behind their computer screen saying whatever they want to say. So it wasn't instantaneous. But I do remember, and maybe. Maybe a fanzine review of the album. This isn't as good as the Pezcore version, you know, or something. Which but, is yeah, an insane it was a- thing to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. even at the time, if I would have... I, I got into you guys at Losing Streak, and then I went back to Pezcore. So for me, I never had that experience with it. But I think even, yeah. if, even if I had gotten into you guys at Pezcore and then heard the new version, there's no way I would say that the old version was better because it it's just not. <laughs> no, yeah. no offense yeah. to Pezcore, it- but... It's if not. it would have been 20 years later and you had the internet, I'm sure there would have been a lot more pushback. But yeah, I don't remember too much about it. Okay, this is something that I don't know if you have thought about. Maybe you have. But this song is now 25 years old. This is classic rock, man. Have you thought about <laughs> yeah. that? 25 I years? Have. I, I, I've thought about Yeah, I have thought about that in context of our, of our uh, uh, career, in a sense. Because I remember... 
when it was, uh, for instance, you know, 1990, and you go back 25 years, then that was would have been 1965. Would have yeah. been, you know, you know, Rolling Stones, Almond Brothers, who, whoever was playing in the, the Beatles, and uh, that was considered classic rock in in, in the 90s. Right. Um, so so yeah, we are. Uh, we're, we're moving on. We'll be playing uh, amphitheaters with uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival very yeah. soon. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> as it hits its classic rock status now, where do you see this song ranking in the popularity among Less Than Jake fans? Like when you compare it to your whole catalog, where is this song top five in popularity among fans? I, you know, I don't know if it's where it ranks in, in terms of that. I know in a live setting, we have to play it. Right. Uh, we've, there's been tours. I'm like, can we just not play Johnny Quest this tour? You know, not for the reason we don't like it. It's just, we played it at every show for 30 years. You want to, and we have a lot of other songs that we want to, you know, uh, give, give some airtime to, so right. to speak. But Johnny Quest is, is just has to be played. We don't play it. We hear about it, especially with the internet now. You didn't play Johnny Quest. I drove three hours from Cincinnati. How dare you? Right. You know, you, you bastards. It's like you didn't but, give uh, people their money's worth if you didn't play yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like I always give the analogy. You, know, you go see the Eagles and they don't play Hotel California. You're pissed, right, you know. Right. You got to play the, the hit. So it's definitely a hit among, among the fans. Uh, you know, as a recorded song in the catalog, I'm not really sure where it sits in that respect. But I do know there's a lot to... to uh, to uh, hold on to with this, all the things you mentioned, the, the, the lyrics and what it means to people and uh, people love the song. Yeah, absolutely, man. And what's testament to that is when you type uh, Johnny Quest thinks we're sellouts into YouTube and go to like the fifth or sixth page and you are going to see covers of it. You're going to see bass covers of it. You're going to see a girl in a bear hat dancing wacky <laughs> against the wall. You're going to see the impact that this has had on people. One of my favorites that I'm probably going to get a clip of and put in here is I saw that a marching band outside of a Seattle Sounders soccer game outside of a stadium playing a marching band version of this song. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, a fan a fan sent that some years ago to us, and I couldn't believe it. That's the ultimate in praise and the ultimate compliment. It was that was so cool. Yeah, that's like twenty five people all <laughs> learning. They they played the whole thing, man. It, it, you yeah. know, they played the bridge and everything. You know, it was yeah, it was really cool. So yeah, man, I I just got to say this as I dug into this song more and more, I I already love this song, but I got a newfound respect for it as I just researched it and dug deeper into it and uh congratulations on this song man it's it's a long-lasting song and i think it's gonna after you're not here anymore i think people are still gonna be enjoying this one well i uh, i appreciate it man thank you and and uh, thanks for talking to me about it it's been been a lot of fun and you you taught me things about the song that i uh didn't think about or didn't know it was uh it was cool to be on on this side of uh, of the hot seat and speaking of the hot seat chris i'm now gonna put you on the hot seat because, uh -oh. <laughs> because you have agreed to play this song live for us uh, right here on the podcast. Uh, yes, I have. Um, I'm going to do this live without a net. 
Uh, if I mess up, I mess up. <laughs> uh, and uh, a couple things with this one. I, I'm going to mess with the arrangement a bit because, again, this song has never been performed acoustic. It's a little difficult without the horns. And uh, I'm going to throw the Pezcore version on the end for you. So here goes. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hell yeah, man, that was awesome. I think that uh, Buddy and JR should just let you sing the horns from now on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but yeah, that was, the, yeah, the, the, I, when I was rehearsing this, I was like, how am I going to do this bridge part without the horns? So I uh, did a little ad-libbing there. I, try, I tried my best. Wasn't, it wasn't too bad. 
Well, moving along here, now that Johnny Quest is taken care of, when we're recording this, your new album, Silver Linings, is a brand new album. It's been out for about a week, week and a half. Maybe someone's listening to this in the year 2040, and this album is now now classic, almost classic <laughs> rock. But when we're recording this, it's a new album. So real quickly, I wanted to talk about a few of the songs off of Silver Linings. Sure. And, and the first one I want to talk about is a song called Keep on Chasing. And before we get into it, um, I'm just going to play this song on here so people can take a listen to it. To quote you, once again, I would say that that song is an absolute ripper. And uh, so set this one up for us. Tell us a little bit about this song. What was the inspiration behind this song? Yeah, you know, I had the riff uh, for a while. And the riff reminded me of, of, it's funny because All and Descendants are pretty much the same band. It's (laughs) Stefan and Carl and Bill. (laughs) It reminded me of an all riff. 
you know, like she's my ex yeah. or something, you know, or long yeah. distance, one of those type of Stefan riffs. And I just, I uh, just have been playing this for, gosh, probably most of 2018, 17, 18 on tour. I just be in the back of the bus with an acoustic playing this riff over and over. Um, this song reminds me a little bit of, uh, I don't know, like all meets Def Leppard. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. got that 80s, <laughs> I can see that 80s rock feel to it. Uh, just really. Uh, just upbeat. Uh, the lyrics were something that I had stashed in a notebook, and it was really weird to go back and find these lyrics. They were from, uh, I went through a, a breakup uh, about a decade ago, and it was particularly uh, particularly painful, and, and I was just writing my feelings down, and I had not went back into this book. Uh, I had moved a couple years ago, and I found this lyric book, and I was going through, and uh, something just jumped out at me on the page. It said, love is like a drug. I, I was journaling at this time, just journaling my, my, you know, dismay, uh, onto paper. And, um, as, as it progressed and I was like, I thought of it for this song. I was like, how I can't sing. We've never used the word love in a song. And, and it right. doesn't mean this isn't like a love song. It's, it's using love as a metaphor. Uh, and the original demo that I made of the song was just, just repeated over love is like a drug and I keep on chasing love is like a drug and I keep on chasing love is like a drug and I keep on chasing. Now it just repeated that over and over again. And I was like, ah, there's not enough there. Uh, so built a song, uh, added a few more lyrics from the, from the journal. But uh, pretty much everything that was in the journal verbatim was what the verses ended up being. It just kind of fit the music almost perfectly. It was like it was meant to be. Right. When I listened to this song and I read the lyrics, I didn't take away from it that this was a love song at all. And I thought the love is like a drug. I, I, I interpreted this from my perspective as being about something in life that you're chasing, but I didn't interpret it as love at all. It, I, I, I interpreted it as like I related it to being in a band and seeing success around you and things like that. Uh, the pay twice the price for half the fun, uh, that line, which is happens a few times in the song that that's what I took away from it. Yeah. And that's what I think that ended up being cool about it is it's not like a love song. That's what it was bore out of, but it ended up being anything you could relate to. Um, but, uh, you know, moving a bit further past the fray, the suspended belief, uh, what was the Senate belief of, uh, God, I can't remember my own lyric. Uh, <laughs> what is it? Held, held deep in yesterday. Yeah, the suspended belief held deep and held deep in yesterday. And that was just yeah. basically me saying, like, this belief of, like, what we were, you know. I wanted that to continue. Right. And uh, it wasn't going to happen. And I was, I was fighting it. And I remember fighting it badly at the time. And sometimes when a relationship's over, man, it's over. And that was it. And again, it was really cool to go back into uh, to a journal and find lyrics that uh, I kind of just had forgotten about that ended up working. And I was like, you know what? I can I can still relate to these today, even though I'm not in the same headspace as I was when I wrote it. Hey, my favorite part of this song is the pre-chorus. I love that pre-chorus. Yeah. So good. Yeah, that's uh, one, of, one of my favorite parts. And I, and I love the... Uh, I love the the key change, you know, when it does the, uh, yeah, you know, <clears throat> the modulation yeah. at the end, and it goes to that last key change. I think that's a really uh, uplifting part of the song. But uh, yeah, this is one of my uh, my favorite tunes in the record. I really really like the way it came out. Absolutely, man. I think this song stands up there with any less than Jake song that you guys have written. You know, as we both know, it takes a little time for people to absorb music and have it become part of their lives. But this whole Silver Linings album, man, 
I'm not just blowing smoke when I talked about it. It's so good. It's so good, man. And I, Thank I've you. seen you be, I've seen you be very humble about it. I, I listen to podcasts you've been been on and in, in interviews and things, and I, I just think that you know if this, this gets in people's ears it's gonna stay there <laughs> yeah you know i make i make the joke about any album we've ever released it's always been my running joke and i, and I don't think i'm gonna make it anymore because i think the band has entered another phase i think that we're moving on i think we're getting better as songwriters i think i don't think we've written our best song yet i really mean that and um you know i used to joke that eh, if you like like uh less than jake before you like the new album if you weren't a fan it's not going to change your mind but i think this record will change the minds i think if you're a a fan of, of heavy music or rock music or any kind of you know uh, rock type of genre that you're going to really like this album that's a great point that leads into the next song i want to talk about uh when you bring up like being a fan of rock music i want to talk about the album opener it's called high cost of low living and it's a rock anthem this is the jam man and before we start talking about it uh i want to play it for everybody this is high cost of low living tradition of less than jake album openers this song is a banger it's so awesome so fun uh i love that main riff 
right off the bat riff riffs for days on this album man but that that main riff did you come up with that riff and if so where were you what was your inspiration for it yeah, so the horn riff was sitting in my voice memos on my phone. I think I was on a plane and I hummed it into my phone and it just was sitting there. We we had the whole record tracked. Uh, everything was still set up. We always are in a habit of keeping the drums and everything set up just in case. And I, I came in the studio one day and I said, guys, I want to write one more. What do you mean? I, I just feel we have another one in us. And I got this thing in my phone and just just bear with me. All right. And Roger was kind of rolling his eyes and was like, what are you talking about? <clears throat> Roger sat down, grabbed an acoustic, and within five minutes, the whole song was written pretty much. Not lyrically. Uh, right. And uh, was one of those ones that was qu- never in a million years thought that it would make the record or let alone be the lead-off track of the album. Right. Uh, <laughs> later that night, we, the five of us sat down and r- round table had a discussion of lyrics. We knew we wanted to make it something fun, nothing really serious but there is a serious undertone to it it's about working your ass off all week and this is so indicative of of a place like Gainesville we've seen it over and over where your your friends they just work their fingers to the bone and then you see them Friday Saturday night pissing their whole paycheck away Uh, and it's all fun and games uh, till Monday morning I mentioned that in the lyrics Uh, and uh, Monday morning comes you go oh god I can't pay the electric bill what the hell did I do and you go back to work and work your ass off all week just to piss it away at the bar (laughs) the next Friday so that's what the lyrics are about it's the high cost of low high cost of low living (laughs) yeah and I can absolutely see this song being a song that quickly connects to people not one that takes years I think people can listen to this song one time and and connect to yeah. it and want to hear it live. Oh, I I think this is a lead off song that we play live. We open up a show with it. It's such a great just party right off the top. Uh, I love something we've never done is the horns take the key change at the end. It's not a vocal thing. There's some there's some holdout uh, straight vocal notes, but it's the horns that take the key change. Uh, and then at the end, the very end is an homage to both Van Halen and David Lee Roth. There's a song called uh, "Feel Your Love Tonight" that ends a cappella and David Lee Roth has a song called just like paradise which is funny because the lyric paradise is in this uh in high cost of low living but uh both of those songs end with an acapella ending and it was kind of a tip of the hat to the old uh, uh you know rock and roll of uh, someone something like van halen so it's, it's a really fun just uh, i would uh, describe it as a party anthem it's a fun fun song right speaking of it being a party anthem is that a bong rip at the beginning of the song what is that it's it, it certainly is <laughs> nice yes. yeah uh and Ta- that, that was ta- that was taken by our roadie uh jimmy he took that while we were in the studio so nice nice and yeah. you lyrically you mention a bunch of places the palomino the atlantic lucy's the hardback nelly's are these all gainesville places they are nelly's rest in peace nelly's was a gainesville institution that uh shut down this year they shuttered their doors they are no more but all the rest of the venues yeah the hardback is where we cut our teeth that was one of the first uh, places we ever played in gainesville was a punk uh, punk rock club uh and uh, lucy's is a downtown establishment the watering hole and the palomino is a pool hall so yeah those are all places that we have frequented numerous times over the years and that's where you'll see people uh, uh spending their their hard-earned paychecks at yeah i was gonna <laughs> say maybe not not so much these days, but were you this guy in high cost of low living? I feel like you were at some part. Maybe oh, when you yeah. were living in Ebor City or something. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's uh, yeah, it's it, it's very easy to uh, you know, you're, you especially after a couple beers, you're like, I'm rich. I got thirty dollars in my wallet. Yeah, you're rich right. for the next twenty minutes, and then Monday morning you wake up and go, oh, 
Oh. Yeah, for sure, man. So this is a great one. And there's one more song I want to talk about on Silver Linings, and it's very appropriate to talk about this one, uh, considering the podcast that we are talking about on right now, because episode four of the podcast, anyone who hasn't heard it, you should go back and listen to it. We had Bill Stevenson on as the guest. And that I've had several people tell me that was the best episode of a podcast that they've ever heard. It was heavy. It was emotional, but you come out of it. I love, I'm I'm a huge Bill fan, huge Descendants fan, huge All fan. And I came out of that episode being a bigger Bill Stevenson fan than I've ever been. And you got, you guys have a song on the new album. It's called Bill. And it is blatantly about the man himself, Bill Stevenson. So before we talk about this one, I want to play this song as well. This is Less Than Jake, Bill. Bill? So yeah, man, that was Bill. 
it's very obvious there is a descendant feel to that, a perfect descendant style riff. Not a ripoff, but more of a tribute to your friends, Aunt Bill and the descendants. Uh, you start right off the bat with the no bill line <laughs> you know it's very obvious that this is a tribute so i don't know yeah talk about that a little bit and, and what these yeah, guys that, as musicians uh meant to you that was actually matt yonker at the top going bill <laughs> and when he did that was the first time he did he went bill we just about fell over uh, and, and that's of course tribute to the to the all song you know the all, all logistics right. um so it's just uh it was. I was thinking one day. I had the riff forever. That riff goes back probably ten or fifteen years. The main riff of the song, and uh, as much as "Keep on Chasing" was more of an uh, an homage to all, this riff definitely has more of a de- descendants feel, as you mentioned a second ago. And uh, the song, I just was in the studio and I was thinking of what can this song be about? And you know, we we tend to write songs uh, about our heroes uh, after they pass away, when they're gone. We right. make we do we do tributes on TV. We do, you know, charitable uh, causes for, in their memory. All this other stuff. And I wanted to write a song and tell someone what they mean to us while they're here, while they're still living. And Bill's done so much, not just for less than Jake. The guy has done so much for punk rock. I mean, he was touring in the late seventies, early eighties. Uh, when nobody was doing this, it was dangerous to be in a punk band. The police didn't get it. The, 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 the parents didn't get it, you know, blue hair and a nose ring. Like you you were an outcast of society and they, they truly paved the way. I talk about it in, in the lyrics about how they, you know, they, they paved the way for bands, uh, like us. I said, uh, you know, uh, never thought that I'd grow up to be this punker kid with no identity playing songs that no one knows at ill attended shows. Wondering what the hell this life is for. Um, I go for all. So there's an all reference in there, but still want more, you know? Right. And um, uh, the next line was, you blazed a trail where there was none. And I descended on, a reference to descendants, the word descended, descended on my faith in life, my destiny. You paved the way for so many, you know? And it's just, again, it was a song that uh, I wanted to write uh, in homage and honor of someone that that's still around, and and it was funny when we did the episode with Bill. I so bad wanted to talk to him about it, but it just wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't what we were there to talk about. But uh, I, I haven't talked about about him with a song yet. So right, you guys have always had a knack for writing awesome songs about specific people too. Whether it's fun or it's heartfelt, I feel like they're always a little bit of both. But, you know, whether it's Cheese or, or uh, Mark Cruz or, or whoever, you guys have always had a knack for that. And there's there's a real charm to that. Well, and there was that was the other reason, Chris. We hadn't done a song about somebody in a long time. And that conversation was had. I was like, you know, we used to have a song about, you know, Cheese, even Johnny Quest, Mark Cruz, Jay Frenzel. There was right. all these people. Jen. There were these yeah. these people. Doug. Doug Hastings. Mike Sinkovich. The, the list goes on. You have your of- own canon. You have your own <laughs> mythology around Less Than Jake. And, you know, bringing Bill into the fold of that is really cool, too, you know? Yeah, yeah. And just on the surface, you know, if you're not a fan of or don't know who all our descendants are, you, you might not get it. It might be like, Bill, is that about someone's dad or what is that about? And that's cool, too, because I always enjoyed lyrics that I didn't know what they meant. And it was intriguing, kind of like Johnny Quest meant what it meant to you. Uh, I, I always took a, away things from lyrics that meant to me. And you, you learn later that was complete opposite of what the song was intended. Right. And I want to talk about Descendants and all just for a moment, because I think there are parallels between them and and less than Jake. And the the main parallel I would take away is that Descendants, as far as I'm concerned, created or the forefathers of what we consider pop punk. 
that so many bands came after and but so many bands that came after and and, and took what the descendants did always wrote from the perspective of being a kid and there's nothing wrong with that when you're a kid and listening to it but then when you go back and listen to it as an adult it doesn't hold up but descendants you can hear them grow in their in their music from album to album and i always felt like yeah they would be considered a sort of pop rock pop punk style of band but when you listen to songs like silence or long distance by all or i won't let me by descendants it's an adult writing these songs they're singing about things that adults go through that that a 30 a 40 a 50 year old person might go through and it remains relevant to you throughout your life and i feel like less than jake in the same way has managed to do that. I can listen to a Less Than Jake song from Hello Rockview and still relate to it, you know, that that I listened to when I was 17, but, but you know, now I can still relate to. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, cool. Well, and you got to remember too, the All In Descendants are not just a big influence on us because we were fans before we ever met them, uh, but they're such an influence because of all the touring we did. You know, we, we toured uh, for two months on the Everything Sucks tour with Descendants, a dream come true, got to see them play every night. And then straight from that, they went into the next All album and we toured on the Mass Nerder record uh, for All. We did a, a probably three or four separate tours so we spent a lot of time with those guys and seeing them we learned so much of them we learned how to be a better band and try to be tighter as a band because those guys are just a machine and uh just uh, i can't can't stress the importance of what uh what that band has meant and what they've uh, done done for lesson jake right and i i know i've, I've said this a million times but i can echo that same sentiment right back to you because your band has been that for my band. We've always been dudes that we looked up to. You you showed us how to do a lot, like a live show. Like goddamn, like you guys always put that at at the forefront. Never, never backed off on that. Only gotten better as time has gone on. And it's not just my band that you've been that way for. If you listen back to this podcast, you'll hear a lot of guests who just have nothing but respect for you guys and you've paved the way in a lot of ways from from your albums to your live show to as people so not, that that's all i'm gonna say about that man i'm not i'm not here to to ring your bell the whole time but but uh it's true for sure no, that's that's really really nice i i appreciate it and uh again man this has been a lot of fun i'm really really happy that uh I got to learn things about a song I wrote 26 years ago, 25, oh, yeah. 20, 20, 26 <laughs> years ago, and uh, uh, got to talk a little bit about the new record, which uh, is out now, Silver Linings, super stoked. I'm glad we got to play a couple tracks from that, and uh, I'd like to leave listeners with one more if we could, Chris. Yeah, man. Uh, I want to talk about the song Blast from the Past. This is a solo song. This is not a Lesson Jake song. This is a Chris DeMake song you recently released a book called Blast from the Past, which is a look back, a photographic journey through your many touring years uh, in Less Than Jake. It's a great book. I had the pleasure of being part of the editing process of it with you, and it was a lot of fun. And I got to, I don't know, experience a lot of memories that I wasn't necessarily there for, but I felt like I was when when we were going back on these. We'd have a little asides where you'd, tell, you'd go further into the story with me, even further than you went in the book. And uh, I thought that was really cool. Uh, but as a uh, accompanying piece to this, you, you wrote a song called Blast from the Past. So we're going to leave people with it today. But if you want to say a few words about it before we go. 
Yeah, just briefly, uh, just thanks to everyone for for listening. We appreciate uh, each and every one of you out there. And uh, the song Glass from the Past is going to eventually be my solo record of the same name. So it's kind of like a a book campaign uh, that we want to do for the next year and a half. So every couple months, a couple more songs are going to come out. And this was the first single from the book uh, and the album. Uh, This is Blast from the Past. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. 
Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street.